Well, this morning we're continuing our study of Psalm 119 after taking a break last week for our missions conference. So go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 119, please. And our uh, memory verse, remember we've been doing a memory verse each week. Our memory verse that we assigned two weeks ago was Psalm 119. 114, verse 114, and uh, even have the words on the screen to help you out this morning since we had a, had a break, didn't get to practice it last week. So let's stand, and we're going to practice our memory verse. Are you ready? On the count of three. See if you can do it without looking now, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. All right, let's... Uh, all right, better put the words up. We'll try, we'll try it this way, okay? One, two, three. All right, now take the words off. One, two, three. God is our hiding place, a shelter when times are tough, a shield when things attack us. And we wait, or some translations say hope in His Word because it's a word that means to wait with a, with a, with a, a hopeful a expectation, a firm belief that God's promises are real. So it's not just, you know, I hope it works out or I, I don't have anything I can do except just, you know, all I'm going to do is wait. No, I wait with expectancy because I know God's Word is accurate and dependable. So God, God is our shelter. He's our hiding place. And He's our shield. And we have confidence in His Word. That's what the verse means. And I'll give you next week's verse uh, later in the message. Thank you so much. You did well. You can be seated. My, my wife uh, faithfully reads Scripture and truthfully is better at her more consistent or quiet time uh, than, than I am at moments. And um, In fact, she wears her Bibles out. And we have to buy her a new one every three or four years because they, they just start falling apart. And um, so about every three or four years, we'll run up to Lifeway or somewhere and find her a, a new new Bible. But she also, like a lot of ladies, has all these bags. Any of you ladies, I know teachers especially have this, all these bags. She has a bag for different things, whether it's Christmas stuff or here's a bag for uh, school and here's a bag for church and all of her Sunday school stuff is in that and her women's ministry stuff is in that bag. And they usually sit on the floor near the bed, and I don't know how she gets out without tripping over, but they're there, and her Bible's in that church bag. And a lot of times I'll go into the bedroom, and she's sitting in the bed reading Scripture. And that caught my attention because a little over a year ago, there was a hotel in northern England that removed the Bibles from the nightstands, you know, the, the Bibles that the Gideons put in all the hotels. They removed them and replaced the Bibles with the best-selling book, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a very explicit, erotic, I'm not even going to call it a romance novel because it borders on, if not being pornography. It's that, it's that vivid. And the owner of that hotel, he said, and listen to the quote. He said, tonight millions of women will be curling up with a be- in bed with a good book, and you can bet it won't be the Bible. He went on to say, it made me wonder about the sense of providing a book, the Bible, which no one reads. Instead of a book, 
which everyone reads. Now, the reaction from various circles was strong, as you might imagine, but that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on a question that I'm asking us. I'm asking me and I'm asking you. Here's the question. How much do you read the Bible? And how does your Bible reading compare to your reading of other materials? That's the more important question, the more significant question. See, it's easy to be angry about some hotel owner in another country doing something that we think, how would, why would he do that? But that doesn't impact me or you. What impacts me and you is, what do we actually do with God's Word? Do we read it? See, it's easier to be angry at somebody else than it is to look in the mirror and take an honest look at ourselves, at our practice, and what we do. So how much, again, let me ask, how much do you read the Bible? That owner was uh, right about one thing, and it's that passion does motivate people. Men and women want it in their their marriage, even though many don't have it and don't know how to have it. And so they often turn to fantasy and made-up stories. But I, I wonder, what would happen? If we redirected that passion, what would happen if we, if we focused our, our passion in a different direction? For instance, what would happen if we, we focused that energy toward our marriage, toward learning how to have a great marriage, how to be a better husband, be a, a better wife, how to put our spouse first and cultivate romance and cultivate a, an exciting relationship? What would happen if... We stop putting time for our marriage and time for our spouse after we've done everything else, the kids and our hobbies and the house and work. But we said, you know what, my marriage, other than Jesus Christ, my husband, my wife, other than Jesus Christ is my top priority. And we actually put that first instead of giving it just what was left. What what would happen if we redirected our passions that way? I think a lot of homes would be very different. What would happen if we redirected our passion toward our walk with Jesus Christ? I mean, there were a lot of you who this weekend, whether it was Friday night or Saturday, made time to go to ball games and you spent money and you put flags on your car and you yelled. There's passion. Nothing wrong with that. I enjoy that. I do that. But what would happen if we said, Jesus, I'm going to be as passionate about you and I'm going to be as passionate about my relationship with you, my walk with you, and I'm going to invest the same kind of energy. I'm going to invest the same level of resources in cultivating my walk with you. If, if, if I took all the time I spend watching sports, and I'm speaking as somebody who watches a lot of sports, if I said, I'm also going to invest that kind of energy in my walk with God and my reading of Scripture, what would happen? Well, passion drives us. Look at Psalm 119. Look at verse 131. 131. He said, I opened my mouth wide and I panted. For I longed. For your commandments, and commandments is one of the eight Hebrew words that is used over and over and over and over in this psalm for the Word of God. The picture of somebody who's out of breath because they've been working so hard, running so much, and they're gasping for air. It's the picture of an animal that's sweating in in the summer after labor and is panting for something to drink. 
He said, God, that's how I am about you and about your word, your commandments. God, I'm, I'm, I'm gasping. I'm trying to take it in. I want it. I need it. He said, I'm passionate about your word, Lord. So what I want to do in the few minutes I have remaining is from Psalm 119, as we continue this study for several weeks, is look at some of the keys to effective Bible study. Now, you have to understand, unless you want it, what I'm getting ready to talk about won't matter, won't help you. Unless there's a longing in you to, to, to grow in your relationship with Christ and, and to get into His Word and be transformed by it, then all the practical suggestions I'm going to make and, and talking about keys to effective Bible study are absolutely useless to you. So I'm assuming you have a passion for Christ. We're, we're, what do we say? We're a family of faith, passionately committed to following Christ. One of our passions, you see it on the banners, one of those is intentional spiritual growth. That, that I'm assuming that, that because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's a passion in you for God, a passion for the things of God, a passion for the Word of God, a passion for spiritual growth. And if that's the case, then, then what we're going to talk about will help you. And here's the first key to, to effective Bible study. One is you have to be intentional. Be intentional in your study of Scripture. Look at verse 95. All the verses we're going to look at are in Psalm 119. Look at verse 95. He, he said, The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I shall diligently consider your testimonies. The Hebrew word translated diligently consider means to pay attention, to learn, to understand. But not just to have information, but to learn how you can use that information. Because the ultimate goal for all of us as disciples when we study God's Word is, God, what are you saying to me about how I live? About my values, my attitudes, about my behavior, my priorities. If your Bible study is just to get head knowledge, you're missing the boat. This, this word means, God, I'm going to pay attention to your word because I want my life to be transformed by it. I want my life to demonstrate increasingly, day after day, year after year, what you've revealed in Scripture. There's an intentionality about wanting to know God's word so that my life can reflect God's word. Not just have information, but experience transformation because of, of God's word. Mark Twain, who said a lot of interesting things, on one occasion said, the man who does not read good books has no advantage over the man who cannot read them. See, if you're able to read, but you don't read God's Word, it's not doing you any good. You have no advantage over someone who has no capacity for reading whatsoever if you don't take the time to actually read Scripture, to get into His Word. Verse 94, he says, I have sought your precepts. Precepts being another of those eight Hebrew words for Scripture in Psalm 119. I sought it. That Hebrew word that comes from a root word that means to follow, to pursue. It's to chase after. I'm, God, I'm chasing. I'm following. I'm pursuing. I'm, I'm intentionally going to your word. Some years ago, there was a preacher with his family traveling across Florida. Early in the morning, they saw just, you know, hundreds and thousands of of uh, trees filled with thousands and millions of oranges. I mean, just oranges everywhere he could look. They pulled over to a little restaurant for breakfast. And after seeing all that, he was thirsty for orange juice. So he ordered a big glass of orange juice. 
few minutes later, the waitress came back and said, I'm sorry, but our, our press is messed up and uh, we don't have any orange juice. And he thought about the irony of that. Here he is surrounded by millions and millions of oranges and he can't get a glass of orange juice. And I'm sometimes struck by the irony that this is still the best-selling book on the planet. Most of us in this room have multiple copies sitting in our house, but we don't drink from it. Let me ask, let me put it in perspective. If suddenly Sunday morning was taken away, okay, if Sunday morning was totally removed and you were never able to come to church on Sunday morning, how much spiritual nourishment would you be getting outside of Sunday morning? Now, that, that speaks to your commitment to Bible study and, and, and to being open to God working in your life daily outside of Sunday morning. Research tells us that, uh, on average, about half of those age 60 and over read the Bible at least once a week. About half. Those in their 50s, it's about 47%. Those in their 30s, it's 37%. Those in their 20s, it's 30%. Now, we all know that young couples are busy, not only with work and raising kids and the truth is people are are busier today than ever I, I find it funny when I reflect on some of the research I read and stories and projections of the future I read 20 30 years ago about how in the future we'd all have more free time because of all the technological advances the truth is all these advances have done has made our lives busier more full and more hectic so that sometimes we do less of what really matters now I'm going to uh, some of you are going to push back right now. I get that. But see, I'm here to help you, not necessarily please you. And some of you young parents, one of the best things you could do is say no to some of the things your kids want to become engaged in so you can say yes to some of the things that actually matter and have a life and stop running 80 hours a week taking your kids here, there, and everywhere. And one day you're going to wake up and know that what I just said, even though you're pushing back because you're afraid you're going to cripple your kids if you don't let them do everything under the sun, you're going to wake up and realize I'm telling you the truth. But the truth is it doesn't matter our ages. We're all busy. And that becomes our reason for not investing in our spiritual development, not reading God's Word. If you're going to read God's Word, whatever your age, whatever your life circumstance, it's going to require some intentionality. If you're going to invest in God's Word so that you're changed by it and become more like Christ, it requires intentionality. It never just happens. You've got to make time for it. And I'm going to spend more time on this point than the other points this morning. Because intentionality is the key. Scripture can't shape your life if you never make time for it. And it's in God's Word that we find inspiration, direction, correction, perspective. All the things we need. And yet we 
neglect the very resource that can do all of that for us, for all this other stuff. And I'm not saying this other stuff is bad. It's not. But if you're going to be successful in life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your spiritual life or anything else, you have to know what are the priorities that will make you successful in that particular endeavor and make time for them first. If you give your priorities only what is left over, your life will not be what you want it to be. You have to do the big things first and give everything else what is left over. It's a lesson some people don't learn until it's too late. I wish I had more time. Just take control of the time you have. And you know the truth is you don't manage time. Nobody can manage time because we all have the same number of seconds in a minute, same number of minutes in an hour, the same number of hours in a day, the same number of days in a week, same number of, of, of weeks in a month. We all have the same amount of time. I cannot manage time. You cannot manage time. But here's what I can manage, and this is what you can manage. I can manage myself. And you can manage yourself. That's the only thing I can manage. That's the only thing you can manage. And the key to intentionally focusing on what matters most is manage yourself and stop making excuses. Manage yourself. All right. And by the way, the church does a lot to help you in your study of God's Word. Go to Sunday school. For some of you, it just means you get to lunch a little bit later because you go to Sunday school at 10.30 instead of going home. Some of you come at 8 o'clock. Read your lesson. Come to one of the spiritual growth classes, equipping you classes on Wednesday night or one of the women's ministry classes on Tuesday morning or other times of the week. Just, just be intentional. All right, number two, pray for God's help when you study His Word. Pray for God to help you as you study Scripture so that you can learn it and, and, and obey it. Look at verses 18 and 19 in Psalm 119. Verses 18 and 19. He, this is a prayer. He, he's praying, God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. God, I need your help to understand Scripture. I don't have time to go into it, but you have in a text box in your notes there the passage from Corinthians that says it's like the only person who truly knows what I am on the inside is me, my spirit. I know me on the inside. You don't know me on the inside. You get a sense, but the only person who truly knows me, the only person who truly knows you is you, me, right? We only know ourselves completely. Nobody else does. Well, who knows God? Well, the Spirit of God. And in Corinthians, he says, that Spirit of God who knows God intimately, completely, lives within us as Christians, as disciples. He's in me. He is in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he is available to help us understand the mind of God, the heart of God, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will help you. Pray, pray, pray over Scripture. God, show me what this means. God, apply this to my life. God, help me get it. Combine prayer with your Bible reading. Most of us never combine prayer with Bible reading. And that leads to the third key to effective Bible study is meditating on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Now, there's a lot of confusion about meditation. 
because of the influence of Eastern philosophies and all of that. And those of us who are evangelical, Bible-believing, conservative Christians often run from the very word. I'm talking about the biblical definition, the biblical understanding of meditation upon God's word. Let me explain it to you. The Hebrew word that is translated meditate in this verse means basically two things. One is to ponder or think on something. So it's, it's a focused thinking, a focused reflection on what you're reading, okay? Intense focus. It's not trying to clear your mind of everything. It is getting in a place where you can focus and focusing on the words in front of you and what God is saying in Scripture. And then secondly, it means to, to, to speak aloud. Most of us, when we read, we read silently in our mind. One of the things you want to do is engage more of your senses, and that's what meditation does. And so I'm sitting here, and, and, and here's a, another thing. Most of us, when we read God's Word, we read lengthy passages, right? I've got to have my daily Bible reading, so before you go to sleep at night, I'm going to read my Bible. Uh, the problem is you're so sleepy and tired, you can barely focus, Right? You've got to find a time when you can be alert. And, and in meditating, you don't necessarily read a long path. Meditate. Take a verse or two or three verses. Or take a story. Or take a parable. And you focus on that story. You focus on that parable. You focus on that one or two verses. And you, you look at the key words. And you just think about it hard. What does that mean? What does that one word mean? Am I doing that word? What is that word saying to me about my life? What, is, what does that say about God, the heart of God, the nature of God, the commandments of God, the expectations of God? What does it say about life? The, you know the questions you learned in grammar school, who, what, when, where, why, etc.? Remember those questions? Just ask those kind of questions about the key words or about the verse and think on it and speak it out loud. Read it out loud because when I'm reading the verse in my mind, I'm speaking it out loud. I'm engaging my sight, my ears, because I'm reading it aloud. I go back and I focus on the keywords, and I'm asking these kind of questions, and all of a sudden stuff starts jumping out at me. And even if you want to, have a journal and start making some notes about thoughts that come to your mind. Just write it down. Don't worry about it being good English. Don't worry about it being a complete sentence. Just write down the thoughts that come to mind and reflect on that and reflect on that and ask God to say something to you, and then combine it with prayer simply by answering what God says. I'm going to help you know how to do that in just a second. Let me first, though, mention the benefits of doing this, of meditating on God's Word. One is it helps us understand Scripture. Verse 27, he says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. There's a connection between meditation, reflection, that kind of thinking about God's Word and understanding it. But it also helps us. Now listen to this. This is important. It helps us focus on what God says instead of focusing on what everybody else says. Too too many of us focus on what everybody else says, what some person says, whether it's a person at church, a person at work, somebody in your family, a neighbor. Somebody on TV, some pundit, some this, some that. And their words 
get us up, get us down, make us happy, make us angry, motivate us. We, we focus on what other people say so much that our lives end up being shaped to some extent by what other people are saying rather than focusing on what God says and allowing His words to shape who we are. I I believe that's one of the biggest challenges to conservative Christians today, Bible-believing Christians today, is that we don't we believe the Bible, but we don't listen to it. We listen to every other voice too much, and then we react to all those other voices. Well, look at what he says in verse 23. He said, "Even though princes sit and talk against me, has anybody ever criticized you?" You ever notice how when you focus on what they say, what does it do to you? Hmm? Does it make you better or does it make you bitter? He said, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statues. I'm going to focus on your words, God, because I'm wanting to be, I'm wanting to respond to what you're saying. I I don't want my response to be dictated by what everybody else, even my critics, are saying. Look at verse 78. He said, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie. Anybody ever told a lie about you? Anybody ever gossiped about you? I shall meditate on your precepts. Folks, I remember when I took driver's ed back in high school. Any of y'all take driver's ed? Maybe some of you should have. I don't know. I remember one of the things they, they taught us was when you're, you know, when you're, you know, learning to drive and, you, and you're on the highway and you're meeting a car going the opposite direction, don't stare at the car you're passing. You know, because that's the tendency. If you don't know this, you, you, you look at the headlights of the car coming your direction. Whatever. You drift in the direction of what you look at. Well, if you focus on, on the wrong words, if you focus on angry words, if you focus on ungodly, listen, you're going to drift that direction. And you're going to find yourself upset all the time. You're going to find yourself negative all the time. You're going to find yourself discouraged all the time. You're going to find yourself making ungodly and unchristlike decisions more often. But if you focus on what God says, now God's going to come along and say, now you know you don't want to do that. You know you shouldn't react that way. You know you've got to do that. You, you, I, I'm with you. God just starts talking to you a little bit differently. And all of a sudden you start behaving differently. That's one of the benefits of meditating on God's Word. It keeps your life right. Now, Let me also mention quickly that biblical meditation involves examining our lives, our actions, and our attitudes in light of what God says. Look at verse 59. He said, I consider my ways and turn my feet to your testimonies. When I think about God's Word, then the reaction is I'm going to turn in His direction. I'm definitely not going to turn in His direction if I never think about His Word. Much more likely to turn in God's direction if I'm meditating on his word and that's the ultimate goal or outcome we're looking for look at verse 30 he said i have chosen the faithful ways i have placed your ordinances before me god i take your ordinances another of those eight words for 
Scripture. God, I take your word, your Scripture, and I put it in front of me. God, that's my focus. I pay attention to it because I want my life to be patterned according to it because I want to be a disciple that honors you. By the way, you're going to discover that that's a blessed life. Now, put in a text box in your notes. You also got to be honest with God. You know, if you lie to yourself and lie to God, this isn't really helping you a whole lot. So you've got to just be honest with God. But in your text box, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, How blessed is the man who is not walking the counsel of the wicked or standing in the path of sinners nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in his law, he what? He meditates day and night. I mean, when you hear that, what comes to your mind? Just think about it. Blessed is the man who does not hang out here. Instead, he delights in the law of the Lord, meditates in it day and night. What does that say to you? Blessed, what does that word mean? Happy. How's Phil set? Happy, happy, happy. Okay. Doesn't say who you where are you hanging out? Are you hanging out with all these other voices or are you hanging out with, with God? His delight. How much delight, joy, do you get? So you, you take a verse and you, you speak it out loud and you ask yourself these questions and then you just turn it into prayer. And God, God, I want to I want to live a blessed life. I want to be blessed by you. And God, I want to live a happy life. And God, I know that I'm I'm listening to all these voices over here. I'm hanging out with these people I shouldn't be hanging out with. Forgive me for that. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to, instead, I'm going, I'm going to listen to your voice. I'm going to listen to the voice of your people. I'm going to hang out where I get godly encouragement. And God, meditate. God, I, I don't even read the scripture. Forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. And God, I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to really think about this. And God, I want you to show me. Day and night, God, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to make time here. And you just start talking to God. And I promise you, most of us, when we pray, we have the, it's like a Christmas list. You remember when your kids would make a Christmas list? Or maybe your husband or wife still does that, or your grandkids make a Christmas list, what they want for Christmas? That's most of our prayer lives. God, here's my list. And God says, when are you ever going to talk to me about what I want to talk about? Because all you do is come and ask, 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 demand, 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 demand. When do you ever talk to me about what I want to talk about, God says? Well, meditating and combining prayer and Scripture lets us have a conversation with God because God's going to start talking to us through Scripture, and all of a sudden we start talking to God about the things He's talking about. When you learn how to do that, that's when your walk with Jesus Christ will be radically transformed because that's when your religion will stop being a me religion and will become a God religion. All right, I'm out of time. One last point key to effective Bible study is to be willing to adjust our lives according to what he says. See, here's what happens. God speaks to us and we don't want to change. What happens when when we do that? All of a sudden, God's word starts drying up. We because we don't want to deal with it anymore, don't want to be confronted by it, don't want to be convicted, don't, we're not willing to change, we just ignore it. We don't read it. Because it's really hard to read this consistently and not adjust. 
behavior, attitudes. So there has to be a willingness to adjust our life in keeping with what he says. That's what those verses we read a moment ago are talking about in, in verse 30 when it says, I put your word in front of me. And then in, I want you one more time because this is your memory verse for next week, verse 59. Look at it. He said, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. God, I took a look at how I was living, my ways, my lifestyle. I considered, I thought about it. And then after doing that, I turned my feet, the direction of my walking, the direction of my living, toward your testimonies. Another of those eight Hebrew words for Scripture. So, God, I looked at my life and I examined it in comparison to your word. And as I saw things, as you showed me things, I turned my lifestyle in the direction of what you were showing me in Scripture. That's adjusting your lifestyle. So that's next week's memory verse, verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. You ready to practice that one? We'll get you a head start. You ready? One, two, three. Pretty good. Let's do that again. One, two, three. There's something about saying God's word out loud that goes beyond just reading it silently in your mind and then thinking about it and then praying about it. And as you look at that verse, how do you meditate? What's God say to you about through the words, the individual words, and then through the verses, the totality? And then answer him. Whatever comes to your mind, just stop and turn that around and turn it into a prayer. But you've got to be willing to adjust your life. A few years ago down in New Orleans, there uh, there were these neighbors who had for years an ongoing feud. Now listen to this. Elderly, elderly uh, neighbors had an ongoing feud over the, over the way they maintained their yards and the cleanliness of the gutters. Okay? I mean, this made national newspapers. One Saturday morning, 66-year-old Melvin was sitting on his front porch reading his Bible. And his neighbors with whom he had the feud were outside. She was, uh, she was sweeping the crepe myrtle droppings. Any of you have those? You know what I'm talking about? They're real messy, beautiful but messy. She was sweeping the crepe myrtle droppings off the sidewalk. And her husband was mowing the grass. And 66-year-old Melvin sitting on his front porch reading the Bible. All of a sudden he lays the Bible down, goes inside his house, comes back out with a handgun, walks over to his neighbor, shoots him, and then he shoots her, empties the, the, the revolver, reloads, and shoots her again as she lays on the ground dead. Why was he reading this? But you're holding bitterness and anger toward people and You show up for worship when it's easy. You don't tithe. You don't pray. And you listen to critics and gossips and political pundits more than 
you, you invest more energy in your favorite sports team than... You see, one of the keys to effective Bible study is a willingness to adjust our lifestyle. Adjust our lifestyle. I'm not talking only about a passion to be transformed. I'm talking about a passion to obey. I mean, to, to read and to have knowledge, but a passion to be transformed and to obey. So do you need to get on your face before the Lord here at the front and talk to Him about something He's saying to you right now? Is there a change that needs to be made, a habit that needs to be started, a habit that needs to be stopped? Is there, is there a confession that needs to be made to the Lord? Remember, you've got to be honest to grow spiritually. You've got to be honest. And that's not always easy, but it's always fruitful. It's always fruitful. 